Amen, amen. Well, it's so good to be here tonight. Thanks for coming on Good Friday service. This is my bedtime, so if I seem weird, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm doing my best. I drank like two cups of coffee during worship. I'm just like chugging, trying to get fired up. So, so thanks for being here tonight, though. If you are new, thanks for joining us. We're so glad you're here and that you would spend your Good Friday with us. It's truly an honor, so thanks for doing that. And to remember Good Friday, we're actually going to continue on in our Gospel of Mark sermon series. We're at part 57 now, so we've been in this for a while, and and typically, Good Friday services focus on what we looked at on Sunday, where Jesus is on the cross. But, but tonight, we're actually going to look at what happens after Jesus comes off the cross. That is actually that passage that is hardly preached on. It, it's, it's not what happens between noon and 3 when Jesus is on the cross. Instead, it's what happens between 3 p.m. and sundown, right before Sabbath starts. Uh, so if you have your Bible, turn with me to Mark 15, verse 40. And again, last Sunday, we looked at at the traditional Good Friday text, the final moments of Jesus' life. And in verse 34, it said this. It says, And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lima sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Okay, so then shortly after this, Jesus died, and the curtain of the temple was torn into two, and this signaled that Jesus' death made access to God possible. Because he was forsaken, and because he bore our sins on himself, we cannot be reconciled to God. So if you did miss Sunday, I encourage you to go back and check that out. But now we're going to look at what happens afterwards. Let's look at verse 40. It says, There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and the young, or James the younger, and of Hoses and Salome. There's lots of Marys, okay, lots of Marys. If you look at the four Gospels, there are like five Marys at the cross. But here we got a couple. And then it says, When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there was also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph, or Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion, that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph, and Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb, and Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of Hoses, saw where he was laid. Okay, so the sermon title is not the plan, not the plan. All right, I'm going to pray one more time. We've been praying a lot. We pray again. Jesus, we thank you for tonight. I pray that you would move in power. Holy Spirit, we invite you to have your way. I pray that this would not just be like lofty words of wisdom, that it wouldn't just be my ideas, but that your spirit would get through this text, through my heart, to these people. So God, I pray that you would speak to each and every one of us and that you would have your way here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. All right, so if you didn't know, a big part of Scent Church is our Scent Communities. So Scent Communities, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a small group, but it's a little bit bigger than that. Typically, it's groups of, of 15 to 30 people who, who meet together together in homes on a weekly basis to study the Bible and to worship and pray together. It's truly a powerful time, so if you're not in a community, I encourage you to join us. But every once in a while, we do a mission night, which is a night where we're uh, focused on actually going out and reaching the community. And this last week, we did one of these nights, and the plan was to, to take door hangers, inviting people to Easter, and to just hang them on people's doors. And, and some people even knocked on doors and prayed with people. There are a few people in our group, I think they got to like two houses because they had revival in each of the houses they're going to. So it's like, thank you, you did a great job. But uh, so, so on the way though, so in the hours leading up to communities, for, 
or for me and Emily, they can be kind of stressful. It's like, because we get off work at five, and it's like five to 6.30 is our window to get our three small children under the age of five fed, dressed, into the car, to church, and then we have to you know, make it over to the base of home where we have communities. And it can just be like threading a needle, trying to get there on time. And this last week, we had, had forgotten to get our, our dinner ready in time, so we had to load the kids up and go grab some food. And then when we got to the restaurant, we realized that the diaper bag was at home. So I said, Emily, you go in, order the food. I'll go get the diaper bag. So I go back to get it. And then when we got back to the restaurant with, uh, so I had Caleb and Abram, our two youngest. And, and when we got back, I realized that Abram didn't have any shoes on his feet. So I'm like, perfect. A two-year-old who, who walks almost three doesn't have any shoes. And it's kind of cold outside tonight. So I'm like, we're not going back to get the shoes. You're just going in with socks on. It's going to work out. So... So we go in there, we eat, and I'm telling you, like, the kids were just next level. Like, like Jane was just, like, crawling on Emily the whole time. She's just, like, pulling her hair, like, Mom, she's four. She shouldn't be doing it. But anyway, she's going all crazy. Abram's trying to, like, bust it out of the booth. He's like, how do I get out of here? Like, trying to get under the table, trying to bust it out. It was stressful, okay? It was a little stressful time. And then we got to the church, and we realized we forgot another bag at the restaurant, a different bag, okay? So... So we were just a little stressed. By the time we got to communities, we were just, just all kinds of, of stress. And, and our expectations of how the night was supposed to go just weren't being met. But we kept pressing ahead. We, we turned to prayer a couple times. We tried to stay positive, And God ended up doing some sweet stuff uh, during our night. You know, for instance, we have a couple of Cedar Falls school teachers in our group. And I think it was like the first or second house they went to, there were some kids from their school that actually had had just moved in that day, and they felt like it was just an answer of prayer that their teacher would show up to pray with them, which is just cool when your teacher shows up to your house saying, hey, can I pray with you? That is pretty awesome, isn't it? So it's so cool how God works. Although things weren't going according to plan at first, God ended up coming through in a big way. In some ways, our 5 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. experience on Wednesday night was similar to Good Friday. Okay, so Emily and I, we had clear expectations of how we wanted the night to go, and hardly any of those expectations were met. It felt like we were facing setback after setback. And for Jesus' disciples, this is how they felt on Thursday night and on Friday. They had expected Jesus to be like this mighty warrior to overthrow Rome and to set up a kingdom on earth. But their expectations were dashed time and time again. As they were enjoying the Passover meal, having a good time, they were told that, that one of them was going to betray Jesus and then Jesus was going to die. And then Jesus took three of his closest disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane where they saw him begin to lose his cool for the first time. He starts to sweat drops of blood. Okay, when the person you think is the son of God who's gonna you know, overthrow Rome starts sweating drops of blood because he's so freaked out about what's about to happen, that's gonna scare you a little bit, okay? So you know, Jesus, he's asking the Father to take the cup away from him, but then he submits to the Father's will. After this, he's arrested by the people who they thought Jesus was going to overthrow. Um, not according to plan, right? He's, he's now arrested. And then following this, Peter denies Jesus three times to a little girl. He, he said, I'm gonna defend you. I'll never deny you. And then he's, I don't know the man. I don't know the man uh, throughout the, the courtyard there. And finally, Jesus died on what was the symbol of Roman oppression, the cross. It seemed that during these hours, nothing happened the way they expected it to. Their dreams were dashed. Their hopes were buried and their hearts were left in despair. And maybe you relate with the disciples or have related with them in the past. As you consider your life, ask yourself the question, what hasn't gone according to my plan? What hasn't happened the way you thought it was going to happen? It could be big or small things. Maybe, or maybe you or a family member is sick, or maybe you didn't get to 
uh, the promotion you prayed for, or perhaps money's tight right now, or, or maybe an important relationship has been fractured in your life, or you're single and you haven't found that special someone that, that you'd like to share your life with, or you've been trying to get pregnant and you failed to get pregnant, or maybe you have gotten pregnant but then you miscarried, or maybe someone close to you has died recently, or maybe you're depressed or anxious, or you're wrestling with sin. How has sin and death reared its ugly head in your life lately? And what has been troubling your heart? What has caused you to doubt God? What has caused you to cry along with Jesus? Eloi, Eloi, lima sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What has made you desperate for resurrection? As that thing comes to mind, I'm gonna ask you an even more pressing question. How do you respond when life doesn't go according to your plan? Okay, when life squeezes you, and when you're under pressure, okay, when everyone's trying to bust out of the booth, how do you respond? Like, what comes out of you when you're squeezed? And the story of Jesus' crucifixion, it shows us some right ways to respond and some wrong ways to respond. So Jesus' disciples, the 12, they show us the wrong way. Okay, when they were squeezed, they, they were afraid, they ran, and they sinned. And they abandoned Jesus in his moment of need, in his greatest moment of need. As God's actions failed to line up with their expectation or or their vision of how things should be, they bailed. And Peter went so far as to deny Jesus. And the other disciples, we get Peter a hard time. Where were the other disciples? They're all hiding in a cave somewhere together, right? Or house. But the female disciples, they actually show us a, a better way to respond. So all the ladies in the house are like, yeah. So, okay, so while the male disciples ran away, like they at least stayed in the general vicinity of the cross, right? So it says this in verse 40. There were also women looking on from a distance. The two Marys, and then Salome, our, our buddy Salome, they were watching. Uh, so in a time when women were oppressed, <laughs> I'm telling you, it, it's going to get weirder as the sermon goes on, okay? So it's, especially after 8 o'clock, if we can get the sermon done before then, we'll be good. Okay, so in a time when women were oppressed and they were viewed as less than men, Jesus empowered them in such an unconventional way. What he did with women was so unheard of. And this morning I read one author who suggested that the women stayed closer to Jesus in these final moments because they had experienced his love most deeply. Okay, they had experienced his love in such a way that they could not bail on him in his time of need. And that makes a lot of sense to me. They had just experienced him so powerfully and he had empowered them so greatly that they could not leave in his darkest hour. And we'll talk more about them on Sunday, but I want to focus on another disciple who was not one of the 12, but he responds to Jesus' death in a powerful way. It says this in, in verse 42 and 43. It says, And when evening had, had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, he took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Okay, so here we meet this man named Joseph. And he was a member of the Sanhedrin. Okay, so this was the very council, the very, the very governing body that actually recommended Jesus' crucifixion to Pilate. Okay, so he was also, though, like while he was on this council, he was also a supporter of Jesus, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. And Matthew's gospel goes so far as to call him a disciple. He was a, an apprentice of Jesus. In Luke's gospel, he makes sure to tell us that he did not agree with the decision of the council. So it's not like he was going along with it, but he's a part of it, and they made the decision. I can only imagine how Joseph was feeling after Jesus' death. Okay, so he's a follower of Jesus. He's secretly a follower of Jesus, but he's also a part of the council that crucified him. The kingdom was supposed to come in power in Jesus, right? That's what Mark told us in the beginning of the gospel. His kingdom's going to come. The kingdom of God is at hand. 
And Joseph had to have hoped that Jesus was going to save himself in that last moment. Instead, Jesus was dead. His body hung lifeless on the cross. Joseph, he surely felt like God was far away. And his actions, they give us a vision of how we can respond when things don't go according to plan. Okay, so the first thing he does is he makes a profound decision. Instead of running from God or shaking his fist at God, he decides to do the right thing. Although he could not control much of the circumstances of Good Friday, he could use his influence and he could, or could use his wealth uh, to do something good and beautiful for Jesus. And the Sabbath was supposed to start at sundown, and he knew that if Jesus was going to be buried properly, he had to be buried before Sabbath, because on Sabbath, no work could be done. And it was common practice for the Romans to just leave bodies to be eaten by the vultures and the wild dogs. And, and this is why Golgotha is called the place of the skull. It was littered with skulls. Okay, so if Jesus' body was to be preserved, Joseph needed to act in haste. He had from like 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. to act in haste. Okay, so while he was uncertain and full of grief, he did just, or he just did the right thing even at great personal cost to himself. And then it even says in verse 46 and 47, it says that he bought a, a linen shroud and taking him down, he he wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. Okay, so he not only got Jesus off the cross, but he paid for a shroud to wrap him in, and, and it seems like he put him in his own tomb. He took care of Jesus even in the midst of the confusion. He did not allow his circumstances to dictate his obedience and faithfulness. In the midst of his despair, in the midst of his confusion, in the midst of life's troubles, he was faithful. And this shows us the first way we should respond when life doesn't go the way we want it to. When life doesn't go according to plan, obey. Okay, when God's not coming through like we want him to, the temptation is to jump ship like the disciples did. The temptation is to say, I'm out. In our culture specifically, we have a tendency to think that, that doing the right thing only applies to us if we get something out of it. Like we should only be obedient if it earns us something, we feel like our obedience, we feel like it earns us something from God. We only obey God when it makes sense to us and when life is going well for us. We don't obey God because we love God, but instead we obey God to get something from God. Okay, so when he doesn't come through like we think he's supposed to, we are tempted to settle for, or for lukewarm Christianity at best or reject him altogether at worst. Okay, when we do this... It actually reveals we don't really love God for God, but instead we love God for what he gives us. If that's been you, I don't want to throw shame on you tonight, okay? But I believe that Jesus wants to invite you to a, a better way. There's something you need to understand. Your obedience cannot earn you anything in the kingdom of God. And because of our sin, the only, the only thing we deserve is death. Obedience is not meant to be a tool to get God to do what we want him to do. Instead, obedience is a response to what he's already done for us on the cross. On the cross, Jesus Christ, he, he took what we deserve so we could get what he deserved. He bridged the gap between us and God. Although we deserve nothing, he gave us everything. He gave us his very life. And this is what we're remembering tonight. If we can get this, we'll want to obey Jesus no matter what he gives us in return. And we'll realize that he's already given us everything and that we owe him our very lives. So for Joseph, he did not view this confusing moment as an excuse to stop being faithful. Instead, he just did the right thing, which is so underrated. Just do the right thing. Do what God's already revealed to you. He took care of Jesus. He honored the Sabbath. He did his part. And then two days later, 
uh, the resurrection came. God bursted the banks of his imagination. Okay, so when your dreams seem dead, when your your situation seems irreparable or hope seems lost, do not shake your fists at God in defiance. Don't pull out of what he's already told you to do. Don't shrink back into self-centeredness. Instead, do what God already told you to do. Okay, do what you know to be true. Obey his word, love and serve him. Serve people, be faithful. And as you do, you never know when your dream might be resurrected, your situation repaired or hope restored. Happy Good Friday. You all ready for this? It's gonna get better. All right, so this is what happened for Joseph. His faithfulness was rewarded. He wasn't just faithful in obedience, though. He was faithful in belief. He believed in God. He had a supernatural belief that God is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he will do. In verse 43, it says that he took courage to go and get Jesus' body. Okay, so to ask for the body would have been a great personal risk for him. Up until this point, he kept his following of Jesus secret. Maybe you've been there. Like, you're at work like, I don't know nothing about Jesus. I don't know nothing. Don't ask me about it, okay? I don't want to talk about spiritual things. I don't want you to know this about me. What might you think about me if I tell you I follow Jesus? That's what he was doing. He was playing it cool. You know, Jesus is about to be killed. He's like, I don't know, you know, whatever. You know, he's just playing it cool. He, he's hiding it. But at this moment, he realizes he needs to uh, take some action. And this act could out him as a follower of Jesus or a sympathizer, and it could have serious consequences for him. It was dangerous to be a friend of someone who was accused of sedition. In the midst of uncertainty, confusion, and grief, he didn't shrink back in fear, right? He didn't play it safe. He took a huge step of faith by going to Pilate. And the only way he was able to do this is because he trusted God. He, he believed God. He had to trust that God would be with him and help him. He had to have faith that, that God would have his back as he took this step of obedience. He had to fix his eyes on his Father in heaven. He, he lifted up his eyes to God. He took risk, and he trusted God every step of the way. He wasn't just faithful to do what was right. He was faith-filled to believe that God would be with him as he did. He was full of faith. He could have easily said, forget Jesus, and continued on as an, influ- as an influ- influential member of the Sanhedrin. He could have lived his life and did what he thought was best for him. Instead, he went the sacrificial way. He laid aside his own interests for the good of God's kingdom. He walked by faith. Although nothing made sense, he believed and trusted God. And this shows us the second way to respond when life's not going the way you want it to. It's to believe, to have faith. Okay, when our... When our situation isn't going the way we want it to, we must follow his road, Joseph's road of faith. We must believe that God, again, is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do regardless of our circumstances. If we're honest, oftentimes when when we're faced with uncertainty, we shrink back in fear. We back off from what God has called us to do. We don't want following Jesus to cost us something, especially when he's not doing what we want him to do. Okay, when God is confusing, do not play it safe. Don't shrink back. Take a risk. Start a new spiritual discipline. Share your faith at work. Commit to community. Serve even when it's hard or even when you're tired. Invite others into your struggle by being vulnerable and open and honest about what you're going through. Trust God in the waiting and take steps of faith. And to do this, remember what he's done in the past. Remember his faithfulness to you in the past and let that fuel you for faith in the future. Keep hope burning. Keep it alive. Can keep that fire burning even in the darkness. Trust that God will honor your faith and defend you. And this is exactly what Joseph did. And now we're talking about him on Good Friday, 2000, well, about 2,000 years later. Okay, so he's a model 
of what we do or should do when life's not going according to plan. He shows us what we should do as we wait for resurrection. He hasn't even seen the resurrection yet. He doesn't even know it's coming, right? They were not expecting it. And for us, we have the privilege, the privilege of living on the other side of the resurrection. We know that death is never the end of the story. And not just that, each of us, we get the privilege of, of actually understanding what the cross meant. They might have had a little idea about it, but, but today we have the New Testament. We understand what the cross means. Okay, we know that on the cross, Jesus, he, he modeled obedience and belief even in the midst of his trouble. As he bore the entire weight of sin and death on himself, he did not bail off that cross. He didn't climb down. They were taunting him, telling him to, and he didn't. He didn't try to cover his own back. Instead, he continued to obey. As Paul says in Philippians, he was obedient even to the point of death on the cross, right? He trusted God all the way to death. He did this, why? Because he loves you, because he loves me, he loves us. At the same time that each of us were sinful and rebellious to God and deserving nothing but death, Jesus poured it all out for us. He remained faithful and steadfast and we are called to the same thing. When things aren't going according to plan, we are called to obey and believe, just like Jesus and Joseph did. We must walk by faith and not by sight. We must choose faith, even when life's not going according to plan. All right, so as you wait for resurrection, this is the main idea tonight. Walk by faith. Walk by faith. Choose to obey and be faithful. Choose to trust and believe. Don't react to what your earthly eyes can see. God is doing far more than you realize. Instead, ask Jesus for a vision of what he's doing in the midst of the uncertainty. Get spiritual eyes to see what he's doing. Jesus, he has died and rose, and he will come back again and make all things right. Live a life that's worthy of being this Jesus' servant. Do the right things. Believe in God. Trust him. In 2016 and 17, Emily and I wanted to get pregnant. I've shared this story, but I'm gonna share a different part of it. Okay, so during that season, we were really praying to get pregnant. We wanted to have our first baby, but it took way longer than we expected it to. Okay, so when you decide you want something in life, in America, we're like, snap, here it comes. Afterwards, I'm ordering B-dubs. I'm getting takeout. It's gonna come. I'm gonna eat it. It's gonna be delicious, right? We want it. We get it. That's how it works. But, but we wanted a baby and it wasn't working. Am I something wrong with me? Something wrong with her? What's going on? It just wasn't happening. And we were praying, we were you know, fasting, believing that God wanted to give us a baby and it just, just wasn't happening. And during that season, we were the Kyle Foot directors at UNI, so the college pastors for that campus ministry. And a couple of people gave us encouragement uh, to focus on, on parenting the students, on, on spiritually parenting the students while we wait for God to give us our own physical children. And we knew we were called to be physical parents, but God wasn't coming through. So. Instead, we just decided, okay, okay, we're going to be faithful in this season. We're going to, or to do our best to spiritually parent the college students. And we asked God, you know, at this point, we're like 24, so we're like a couple years older. We're like, God, give us a father's and mother's heart for the children, or not the children, for the students. They seem like children, but I'm your student, you're not a child. Anyways, so, okay, we asked for this heart, a heart we didn't have yet, right? At that point, I felt like we were just kind of pure, so... So we prayed for that heart and we started having them into our home all the time. Anytime we feel we're like, come to our house. And we just made a decision that, you know, that we're gonna open ourselves up more to them. <clears throat> and as we did, 
or did what we knew to do, even as God wasn't doing what we wanted him to do, he began to move. In that season, we started having people that are now a part of our church leadership team. They were in college at the time in our home, like John and Casey Griffin and Marcus and Katie Boldy and Victor and Lexi Martinez. Lexi's our kids pastor now. At that time, she was a freshman. She wouldn't talk to me, but it's okay. So, and God did some beautiful things in that waiting period. Things he couldn't have done had we had some of our own children. He built the foundation that Chi Alpha stands on now. It was the genesis of Chi Alpha's DNA of deep community and intentional discipleship, and it all started in our basement as we poured ourselves into students and waited for God to give us our own children. And in the right timing, we got pregnant with our daughter, Jane, who's now four and a half years old, and Abram, who's almost three, and Caleb, who's almost one. I said two on Sunday. He's almost one. Now we got another one coming, so God knew what he was doing. He's like, you'll get plenty of kids. Don't you worry. You just... You're only 25, <laughs> you'll get plenty, okay? <laughs> the point is it didn't go according to our plan, but, but God had a plan and his plan was way better than ours. Okay, so with that in mind, let's return to where we begin. Okay, what in life, what thing in your life has not gone according to plan? And how have you responded to that? Have you been obedient and faithful even when God isn't doing what you want him to do? Have you trusted and believed that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, even when you can't see it? Come on, this book doesn't just apply when you're seeing all the stuff happen that you want. Right? He is the God that he says he is. His arm is not too short to save. Right? In the midst of your darkness and your despair, do you still believe that he is good and that he is the same God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead? Do you still believe that? Do you trust him even when he's not doing what you want him to do? Are you walking by faith Right, not by what you can see, but by what he has said in his word. If you need motivation to do this, look at Jesus who is faithful all the way to Calvary. He laid down his very life for you, the son of God. He didn't have to do it, right? He chose to do it. He, he willingly laid down his life for you so you could live. Even though the thought of the cross put agony into his heart in such a way that he would sweat drops of blood, he endured it anyways. He was beaten, bruised, and mocked. He was stripped. The Son of God, right? The one who spoke the universe into existence, stripped naked and beaten and bruised, spit on and killed. And he was faithful through it all. He didn't have to be, but he chose to be. He was faithful. He was obedient, even to the point of death. He trusted and believed in God's good plan, even in the midst of darkness. He knew that he had to complete his mission. His mission was to pay your penalty to make you right with God, to give you access to God, to tear that curtain, to, or to reopen the Garden of Eden. That was his mission. He had a mission to complete, and so do you. But here's the thing that happens. And this thing that happens, the devil, he throws stuff into your life, tries to get you distracted and get you off mission. He's given you a mandate and a call to rule on this earth and to push forward the kingdom of God. The kingdom cannot afford for you to sit on the bench and to shake your fist at God. Instead, Jesus is calling you to go down that same road of Calvary, to say, I'm gonna be faithful even when I don't get it all. I'm gonna believe in him even when things aren't going according to my plan. And as you do, he's going to burst the banks of your imagination. Because Jesus paid our penalty, because he was faithful, because he believed God even in the midst of the darkness. Because of that, if we trust and believe in him, all we, if we only just put our faith in him, saying, I 
trust you, we can be forgiven of everything we've ever done. We can be forgiven for the times when we've been unfaithful because we all have been unfaithful, right? Or he can forgive us for that. He can forgive us for those times when we don't believe that God is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do. Jesus was faithful because we've been unfaithful, right? He, he paid it all. And all we gotta do to be saved is to put our trust in him. To say, Jesus, I don't have a lot to offer, but I give you my heart. And if you do that, if you trust in Jesus, you will be made new and forgiven for all your sins. So tonight, what we're gonna do to end our service is we're going to actually remember Jesus' sacrifice on the cross by taking communion. Okay, so what I wanna do is have the ushers go ahead and come and begin to pass that out. And as they, they pass that out, I just wanna give you a, a few instructions, okay? And then, and then we're gonna take a moment to reflect. But, but the first thing is this, okay, so, so when we take communion, it's a sign of unity with the global church, right? It's something that Christians have done for all of, uh, of the church's history, right, for the last 2,000 years. But to take communion, you need to be a follower of Jesus, right? That's the only requirement. You don't have to be a member of Centers, but to take communion, you need to have trusted in Jesus and given him your heart. Said, okay, you're my king, you're my Lord. Okay, so as they pass the elements and as we reflect, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I wanna give you a moment just between you and the Lord as you hold those communion elements if you decide to take them and to put your trust in Jesus, to pray a simple prayer to say, Jesus, I put my trust in you. And if you're not ready to make that decision, then don't take communion because it's only for people who have, have trusted in Jesus. But here's the thing, all you gotta do is confess that he is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved, right? So maybe this communion is your time of saying, I'm gonna put my trust in Jesus. Okay, the second thing, so communion one, it's a sign of unity among Christians. It's also a sign of remembrance for what Jesus has done on the cross for us. And, and, and what a better time to, there's no better time to remember what he's done than on Good Friday. So as you hold those elements for the next few moments, think about what Jesus did. Look at the cross over here. Think about how he paid it all for you. And the third thing is this, as we take communion, just know that it's meant to be an act of repentance. It's meant to be an act of repentance of sin. So, so think about those ways that you've displeased the Lord and turn from them, confess them to the Lord, ask for forgiveness. All right, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna have a few moments of reflection as you think about those things, as you hold those elements, as you pray. Probably be about three to four minutes here, maybe five. And I'll come back up and, and then we'll take communion together. But I'm gonna pray before we, we have the time of reflection. So Lord, I thank you for your body and your blood. Jesus, I thank you that you paid it all for us. And God, tonight I pray that as we hold these elements, that there be people who put their trust in you for the very first time. God, that there be people who, who uh, just recommit their lives to you. God, I pray that the cross would just be made so real to us in this moment, that there would be, be such remembrance of what you've done. And finally, Lord, I pray for a deep repentance. There's so many things, there's so many things to repent of. And God, I pray that you would bring those things to mind, not to crush us, but, but so we can get healed and free of those things. So God, I pray that this would be a holy moment. God, we love you. All right, let's just seek the Lord individually and then I'll be back up.